The more color that you have in your diet, the more fruits and vegetables, particularly non-starchy fruits and vegetables, the lower the rates of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, insulin resistance, cognitive decline, mental health issues, and cancers. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear part one of a fantastic conversation with Dr. Terry Walls about her journey from being wheelchair bound with multiple sclerosis to riding her bike and being in the best shape of her adult life. In this episode, we're going to talk about the specifics of her Walls protocol and how it nurtures your mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of your cells to provide you energy. Be sure to listen into part two of our conversation where you're going to get to hear what a day in the life of Dr. Walls looks like. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm delighted today to have a local guest, also here from Iowa, who has worldwide recognition for her transformation and how she's transforming the lives of others through her Walls protocol. Dr. Terry Walls is a clinical professor at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials testing the efficacy of therapeutic lifestyle to treat multiple sclerosis-related symptoms. In addition, she's the author of The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles, and the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life, the revolutionary modern paleo plan to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions. So Dr. Walls, it's an honor to have you on the podcast today. Great. Thank you for having me. So when I decided to launch this podcast, you came to mind. I thought, oh, I need to have Dr. Walls on the show (laughs) because you have an incredible story and you have shared all of what you've now learned with others and you're currently even conducting research. So let's just cut right to the chase and open with your incredible story. Your book opens telling the reader how invincible you once felt. So what happened to change that? Yeah, you know, before uh, medical school, I was a martial artist, black belt, competed nationally in full contact taekwondo and felt invincible. I got into medical school uh, and then, you know, I noticed during my third year, I started having episodes of discomfort, face pain. That seemed to be more frequent when I was uh, stressed, uh, sleep deprived. Uh, Nothing seemed to help those. Uh, And that uh, came and went. Uh, Then um, seven years after uh, that time period, I had a period of dim vision in my left eye. Uh, And I I was evaluated uh, for that as well as my face pains. Uh, And they tried uh, some drugs, developed drug rash, and then I just had to tough it out. And these would come and go. Then in 2000, so now 20 years after my first onset of uh, facial pain, I developed leg weakness. And I was back to my neurologist, got a big workup. uh, And then uh, this time they saw lesions in uh, one in my brain, a couple in my spinal cord and said that this is probably relapsing remitting MS. I, um, again, being a you know, academic physician, I wanted to treat my disease aggressively. So I did some research, found the best MS center that I could find in the Midwest, saw the best people, took the newest drugs, and went steadily downhill anyway. Uh, then I, uh, I was told about the work of Lauren Cardane and the paleo diet. I read his books, his papers. And it was a big deal because I had been a vegetarian for 20 years. So uh, with some prayer and meditation, I went back to eating meat. Um, but I continued to decline. The next year, I needed a tilt-recline wheelchair. I took a chemotherapy. I continued to decline. Then I took the new biologic drugs. I continued to decline. Then I switched to you know, other potent immune-suppressing drugs. But it's very clear that the very best conventional approaches were clearly not stopping my slide towards a bedridden. 
uh, possibly uh, demented life, uh, possibly intractable pain, because my face pain had been steadily getting to be more difficult to manage uh, over those uh, 20 years. And uh, fortunately, uh, that's when I said, yeah, I got to do everything that I possibly can. I started reading the basic science. I read the animal models uh, for MS, for Parkinson's, for Alzheimer's, for ALS, for all types of neurodegeneration. I decided that mitochondria were key. I would ultimately begin uh, creating a supplement cocktail that did seem to slow my decline and help my fatigue, you know, a little bit. But of course, you know, I'm very grateful because I know uh, given the history of my MS that, you know, clearly I was not improving. So I was just thrilled that I seemed to be slowing my decline. Uh, then I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I had a great course in neuroprotection. I took that. I'm reading more ancestral health. Uh, I'm reading more functional medicine. And um, so I have a bigger supplement list. Not a lot's happened yet. But then I had this really uh, phenomenal aha moment, like, what if I redesign my paleo diet to get these nutrients I'm taking in supplement for uh, from the food? So that's actually several more months of research to reorganize uh, my eating plan. Still paleo, but now a very structured paleo. And um, so yeah, I start this new highly structured way of eating December 26, 2007. And at that time, uh, I was unable to sit up in a regular chair. If I sat in a regular chair uh, more than 10 minutes, I was so exhausted. I'm uh, bedridden for the rest of the day. It's a struggle to walk 10 feet using two walking sticks. Uh, I'm beginning to have cognitive decline. My face pain is much more difficult to manage. Uh, and, and I knew I was uh, on the cusp of being forced into medical retirement. Uh, and so to my utter surprise, as I, you know, implementing this new way of eating, uh, by the end of January, I'm like, you know, my, I, I have more energy. And uh, my thinking is clear. Um, and I can sit up at the table to eat again. I, and uh, in three months, I'm walking around the hospital for the first time with walking sticks uh, in about four years. And people are stunned. Then at uh, six months, uh, I get on my bike. Uh, we had this sort of this emergency family meeting, you know, said, can I try biking again? Uh, and um, what we work out is that my son will jog on the left. My daughter will jog on the right. My uh, wife will follow on her bike. Uh, and in fact, I'm able to bike around the block. My son is crying. My uh, daughter's crying. My wife's crying. I'm crying. If I talk about it much longer, I'll start crying because, uh, you know, th that was just so miraculous then because I had accepted when you have a progressive neurologic disorder, you, you get to a point where you just accept that you'll take one day at a time because recovery is just not possible. And so I, I, all that I had done was to slow my decline. I had no idea that I'd be able to stop the decline and then uh, even less idea that, you know, I could get better. And I did, remarkably so. So, you know, at, at a year, I was able to do an 18.5 mile bike ride with my family. So, of course, this really changes the way I interact with my patients. It changes my understanding of disease and health. It changes uh, ultimately the type of research that I do. Uh, and, uh, and that was, of course, a big, uh, a few bumps in that transition because uh, you know, people were a little uneasy at first. 
I, you know, they were thrilled to see me walking around, but they were a little uh, uncertain uh, when they saw how I changed my practice. Well, let's talk about what you discovered. You talk a lot in your book about cellular dysfunction and broken biochemistry, and, and you alluded to yeah. changing your diet, which I'm assuming you're getting at feeding your mitochondria. So can you tell us more about how you did modify your diet to feed your mitochondria and what those are? Yeah. So, you know, the reason I'm so keen on mitochondria is that our cells really rely on the mitochondria to convert the food we eat into an energy form that our cells can use to run the chemistry of life. Uh, and so we're, we're so dependent uh, on these mitochondria to do a good job of generating all that chemical energy, also known as ATP or adenosine triphosphate. Uh, and so I uh, originally you know, used all these supplements uh, targeting on you know, particular chemical steps and pathways that I knew uh, were important for, my, for mitochondria. And that was really very helpful. It was the first time that um, I, I actually had some sense of hope that I was slowing the speed of my decline in that these drugs that I was taking, you know, costing thousands of dollars every month and gave me terrible side effects. But, you know, I, I was even more afraid of becoming uh, more disabled more rapidly. So I was, I was thrilled to take them. But I was also really thrilled to see, like, these supplements were clearly having a positive effect. Uh, and then when I had that big aha, like, okay, what if I redesign my diet to get the nutrients that are uh, that's taken in supplement form that, you know, if I did that, I'd probably get some additional compounds in the food because food is vastly more complicated than specific supplements. I had this idea that I would probably get other things that were really good for my mitochondria and probably good for my brain and probably good for all of my cellular structures. And of course, you know, when I asked my registered dietitian colleagues, uh, I gave them the list of nutrients. They're like, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't have an intern who could do that. And I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Um, so, you know, I had to, it took me several months to get that research done. You know, but fortunately, uh, I was able to find that uh, in part uh, with the uh, Linus Pauling Institute on Micronutrients. It's very helpful. And they have a wonderful website. I refer to them. Yeah, I, I think it's a great resource. So let's break down what foods are incorporated in the WALS protocol. And then we can talk yeah. about what foods are removed. But let's talk about specifically the, the cups of greens and kind of get into what you're adding. So, uh, you know, when I, when I designed the WALS protocol, I also made it uh, sort of uh, multiple levels. So you could make your transition from your standard American diet uh, to the level one diet. Uh, and here I'm focusing on adding a lot more diversity to your diet. I want people to get more green leafy vegetables, things like uh, romaine lettuce, uh, spinach, uh, uh, turnip greens, uh, kale, parsley, cilantro, uh, uh, basil. A lot of uh, benefit with those carotenoids, with the vitamin K, with the magnesium, uh, with the vitamin C, uh, and of course, uh, folate. And then uh, the next category is the sulfur-rich vegetables. These are the cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family vegetables. Uh, sulfur is a, a really important component uh, in how we uh, detox and remove uh, toxins out of our body. It's an important component in some key enzymes uh, in our uh, antioxidant machinery, in our cells to protect our cells from damage. And they're a key component in a lot of enzymes in the brain um, uh, that are important for making uh, some neurotransmitters. So it, uh, sulfur is a very, very important compound. Uh, the cabbage family, onion family, 
provide you know, substrates for those compounds, and they also boost the efficiency of a lot of these enzymes uh, in our cells as well. That's a key nutrient. And then the third category, uh, it's probably really the easiest one for people to get to, and that's the deeply colored. Um, and I'm looking for blue, purple, black, yellow, orange, uh, and uh, vegetables or berries. Uh, and depending, and we have so many studies really that show us the more color that you have in your diet, the more fruits and vegetables, particularly non-starchy fruits and vegetables, the lower the rates of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, insulin resistance, cognitive decline, mental health issues, and cancers. Um, and so uh, hugely, hugely uh, important uh, and beneficial. So not just for autoimmune conditions, for all chronic disease. I mean, this is how we, everyone should essentially be eating. Correct. <laughs> all the time. Correct. Correct. Well, they'll certainly, uh, the science would certainly say that uh, lots of reasons to expect that your health would improve just by ramping up your vegetables, uh, uh, ramping up uh, the sulfur-containing vegetables, the uh, um, leafy green vegetables, and deeply pigmented stuff. And when I, when I taught this concept to my vets, uh, I said, you know, the way to figure out is it colorful, you take a knife and cut the item in half. If you've got pigment all the way through, then we'll count that as colored. So, you know, uh, beets, carrots, berries, that's colored. Uh, peaches, that's colored. Apricots, that's colored. Apples, pears, bananas are white. Uh, they're pretty high in starch, uh, uh, pretty high in carbs. There are some health benefits but they don't have all of those antioxidants that I'm looking for in that colored category. So my, my advice is it's the, the target is nine cups of vegetables and, and berries. Or so it's three plates per day per day. Yeah. My, my vets would say like, so is that per week or month doc? That's, <laughs> no, 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 that's per day. They're like, wow. Or you could eat organ meat, you know, have liver a little more frequently. And they'd usually say, I'll eat the vegetables. <laughs> Um, tell us about one of your favorite recipes. So, and I actually cooked this this weekend. Um, you have mentioned, I've heard you speak about cooking bacon. Well, so this is the basic recipe uh, that we use uh, and I teach our vets. Uh, if they're meat eaters, take a couple strips of bacon, fry them in your skillet to the desired level of doneness. Uh, take the bacon out, chop it up, set it aside, add your vegetables in a tablespoon of water, put the lid on uh, for two minutes. If you're doing greens, I'll, I'll cook the bacon in a stock pot so you have nice uh, big walls. That way, when I dump in the greens and I'm stirring them around, because you just want to stir them around until they're wilted. Spinach, that's like 30 seconds. Kale, that might be a minute or two. Um, asparagus, you know, that, that's probably a minute or two. Um, it, so you just want your, your greens wilted, your vegetables, you want them uh, slightly, um, a little bit crunchy yet. Uh, and then you add in the uh, chopped uh, bacon and you serve that. And I tell my vets, you know, if it's not delicious, double the bacon and do it again. Uh, and they're like, wow, that does sound pretty delicious. So the reason our, our vegetables become bitter uh, is that they're a little more alkaline. And so we experience that alkaline uh, taste as bitter. Uh, and so we can uh, counter that by having more fat, such as clarified butter, uh, olive oil, uh, or bacon fat, duck fat, uh, tallow, uh, uh, that would certainly uh, work as well. And then if it still seems a little bit bitter, you could add a little uh, vinegar that you enjoy, uh, balsamic vinegar or lemon juice, lime juice, uh, to get it to that pH and get rid of that bitterness. You know, I, and I would say 
that my kids have found that, you know, the bacon and greens uh, is their favorite vegetable. Agreed. I I think that's a good combination. (laughs) It is just perfect. So we've talked about foods that we need to add into our diet. What do we need to remove? So what are the inflammatory food groups that you found most beneficial to remove? So if you have an autoimmune issue, or if you have a mental health or neurologic issue, I think it's really important to remove gluten and casein. Now, gluten is a protein in wheat, rye, barley, and many ancient grains. And casein is the protein in dairy. The reason for that is that uh, many people with an autoimmune issue uh, or with a brain-related issue have unrecognized sensitivity to gluten. So that uh, if you have a leaky gut and you eat food containing gluten or casein, a part of that incompletely digested food will get into your bloodstream and it will piss off your innate immune cells. And they will secrete more inflammatory cytokines, which will make your autoimmune symptoms much worse and will make your mental health issues and neurologic issues much worse. And, um, you know, uh, let's see, Alessio Fasano, who is the uh, big celiac uh, uh, expert uh, in the Harvard uh, Hospital Group, he, that's his area of research. It is his position that for people with autoimmune issues, a leaky gut is always happening and that gluten will open up those gates, make the gut leakier. And uh, then you can get uh, the gluten. If you're sensitive to gluten, that's going to be a big problem. But even if you're not sensitive to gluten, if your gates are opened and you have bacterial fragments getting into your bloodstream, uh, the lipopolysaccharides, LPS, that will activate your innate immune cells. You'll have more inflammation, uh, more insulin resistance, more uh, mental health, neurologic symptoms, and if you have an autoimmune component, more symptoms in that uh, type of autoimmunity, whether it's skin, if you have issues with psoriasis, or uh, joints, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, or like me, your uh, neurologic symptoms, if you have MS. I like to tell my patients consuming gluten is like adding gasoline to a fire. So when your body's already on alert, you know, attacking itself, and then we feed ourselves these inflammatory grains that are worsening the leaky gut situation. Unfortunately, that's just triggering that fire to continue. And we have to lessen, not just lessen the fuel to the fire. We have to put the fire out. We need to not consume those foods at all. Yeah. I also uh, give that same message. Um, I'm mindful. uh, And we talk about the addictive nature of gluten, uh, of casein, and of processed foods. That the uh, casein molecule and the gluten molecule will stimulate uh, the same kind of receptors that uh, dairy voids, uh, morphine, would stimulate our endorphins that we get from uh, vigorous exercise. And so when people say like, Doc, I can't imagine giving up cheese and bread. I'm like, I understand that. That you may be experiencing some uh, addictive uh, relationship to those foods. Uh, Then if I am able to have a conversation about, okay, how can we help uh, make your environment more successful, given that you have this relationship that, that you've already identified will make it difficult for you to be successful. So that kind of leads me into a, a next question is really finding the motivation behind the behavior change. As a clinician, that's something that's important for me to find with my patients. You know, that's a great topic. Um, 
because you know uh, we do research and we're writing up uh, stuff all the time, we have uh, just been looking at the um, measure of compliance, adherence. How often do patients do the things that we say? So if you and I are just asking people to take a supplement or a medication, 75% will take the medication 80% of the time. So if all we're asking you to do is just to take a pill, if we ask them to change their diet, less than 25% will do that. Uh, and so, and they're like, okay, it's very rare that people actually make these changes, even when we educate why it's so incredibly important. And then, you know, so I'm looking at uh, what's the biology of why that is so hard. We're wired biologically to crave sugar, salt, fat, and sex, which is why we you know, eat food, have sex, make babies. Those are really important things for us as a species. So that's been rewarded over millions of generations. And we're rewarded, our brain's wired to reward uh, pleasure. Uh, and uh, future benefit uh, is greatly discounted uh, for today's pleasure. So if I'm asking you to give up pleasurable foods, to endure discomfort, uh, withdrawal, headaches, malaise, when you give up these prickly, yummy, delicious foods that you crave uh, for a future benefit, so you're going to have feel worse acutely, that is an enormously difficult ask. Uh, and I think for many clinicians, we are not as forthright about how difficult that ask is. So I, I think that's one flaw that we have. Uh, another uh, area where I spend a lot more time is thinking about how do I motivate my patients to do this work? Because it is work. It, it's uh, creating new habits is work. Extinguishing old habits is work. It takes a lot of effort. We have to work at it again and again. Uh, and so here's where a couple of questions that can be so helpful. What do you want your health for? What would you like to be doing? If we, if we could improve your health, what would be meaningful to you? And, and so, you know, for example, you know, my, my son is getting married this fall. Uh, and so if someone has a wedding of someone that's really important to them, it might be important for them to dance at their daughter's wedding or their son's wedding, or it might be important to see their uh, son or daughter graduate from high school or college or get married or the grandchild be born. So if, if we can uh, help that person identify something that they want their health for, and if they can't, then I need to send them to off to talk therapy to help them uh, enrich their life. So uh, there is something that they care that much for, because if, if there is nothing that they care that much for, it's going to be very difficult for them to do this work. I think it's important. One thing that I tell my patients to do is put that why on their mirror in their bathroom. So they're looking at that every morning. Zig Ziglar said, motivation doesn't last, but neither does a shower. And that's why we have to <laughs> participate every single oh, I day. I like that. <laughs> and so I think having that goal right in front of them first thing in the morning, you know, I'm going to eat clean today because, you know, this is my goal. This is my why. I think just looking at that every single day is, is important. You know, and we talk about uh, free writing that I encourage people to uh, have a journal uh, and that if, if you want to write a long time, that's fine. But if all you want to do is just put in one sentence, that's fine. But over time, that reflection on uh, what are your challenges at, at life uh, towards meeting this goal that you've identified can be very helpful. 
I think that was a wonderful part of the conference that I attended a few years ago of yours. I, I had thought about this with my clients, but I hadn't really been implementing it to the extent that I should have been. And so I, I appreciate you incorporating that. So let's talk about your conference. Tell me about the Walls Protocol Seminar. Yeah. Well, so the seminar is a, a very, very fun event. We do that every summer and we have hundreds and hundreds of people coming every year and uh, more and more clinicians coming so we can get them trained. And what I do is I teach people how to do uh, the Walsh Protocol, uh, the dietary interventions. We talk about all of the other lifestyle factors, uh, stress, uh, exercise, uh, detox. I have some uh, guest speakers. You were uh, marvelous. We got uh, great comments uh, about your talks, by the way. And then uh, we talk a lot about creating resilience. Uh, how do we get to why to make all of this? Uh, and so that's a, uh, and this year we're doing uh, four versions of that. Last year, I, we did it in three sessions. This year, we're doing it in four sessions because I, I've learned over time when people succeed or fail, it's not because you and I didn't order the right test. It's not because we didn't suggest the right supplement. It's because we couldn't help them be successful with implementing the recommended diet and lifestyle that it was such a big ask for them to create these new habits and to extinguish the old ones. So each year I give this, we put more effort on helping people and supporting them through that process. And then this year, because of uh, the pandemic, we are I'm looking like, well, the information is more critical, but I don't know that we're gonna be able to have hundreds of people together in a small space, nor do I want my people getting in a plane Fine. So we've converted it to a virtual event. Uh, and so uh, we're doing uh, a couple hours every Sunday, an hour every Wednesday. I give people homework. Um, and we, uh, so they, they can elect to do the homework or not, but we go over their homework on Wednesday and break out into small groups uh, and uh, talk to one another. Because one, one of the things that I, I find that's so helpful uh, is that getting uh, that peer-to-peer -peer conversation about here's my experience of doing the protocol. Here's my experience of extinguishing those bad habits, creating these new habits to talk to one another because, you know, our patients hear it from you and I, and we're the expert, but we don't know how, how difficult it is. But when they hear it from someone else, who's just another patient like them, like that they were successful, it gives them uh, insights that they could not hear from me or probably could not hear from you. I think one thing that I took home also sitting at the table, so I, I did speak at your conference on the relationship between autoimmunity and hormones because hormones are so neuroprotective and anti-inflammatory. They're a vital uh, piece of the longevity blueprint that I talked about in, in my book. But I attended also to become certified. And actually, for those listening, you can find Wall Certified Health uh, professionals on her website. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I was very amazed, one, at the reach of all the attendees, as far as I had, there was a woman from Hungary, I think, at my table, one yep. from Canada, women and men, but women primarily were at my table from all over the world. And they were all at various, I would say, stages of recovery. So one woman had just been diagnosed literally a few weeks prior, some had been coming to your conference for years. So it, it was really unique to see women at all different stages of their journey being able to be an example and a coach for, for their peers. That was, I was shocked. It was very yeah. inspiring. Yeah. You know, it's one of the uh, benefits of uh, my time with the VA because I ran a group class there because uh, 
there's such demand to see me and my level of expertise. I didn't want people to have to wait too long. So we kept doing this in groups and bigger and bigger and bigger groups. And what I discovered is that groups are even more powerful. They make this change even more effective. If we can figure out a way for these uh, patients to interact uh, in a group together to get that peer support. Well, that was incredible. I always learn so much from my conversations with Dr. Walls. I know this has been encouraging for you too. Be sure to tune in to part two of our conversation where you're going to get to hear what a day in the life of Dr. Walls looks like, what oil she cooks with, her favorite recipes, and even her answer to my question, should kids be eating dairy? Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening and remember... Wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.